0: last week about divine healing is that we never want to blame God for the devil's work that is one of the devil's favorite ploys is to steal kill and destroy and then somehow make people think that it's God's work when really it's Satan's work so we don't ever want to blame God for that which the devil has done And on another note, we don't want to blame Satan for things that we have failed to do. Maybe our own lack of discipline or our own disobedience. A lack of wisdom, which is available by asking, according to James. Lack of knowledge, which comes by renewing our mind to the Word of God. Again, our responsibility or even our own unbelief, which, by the way, is a choice. You choose what you believe. And one of the primary ways you choose what you believe is when you choose what you hear. And so it behooves us to make it our business to hear the Word of God, to not listen to those who don't listen to God, not listen to those who don't bring us the Word of God. I'm not interested in the latest fad. I'm not interested in people's political commentary. I'm not interested in people who have nothing much to say about the Word. I'm interested in the Word of God. It's unchanging. The Word of God brings faith, it produces faith, Romans 10, 17, and that faith has brought God's people through all kinds of situations and circumstances in the earth, brought people from times of upheaval, famine, war, pestilence, shortages, economic, terrible, terribly bad economic times. There's nothing too hard for God. But if we wait until we're in the midst of the biggest storm of our life, To try to build our faith, we are at a great disadvantage. And I'm not saying it can't be done. And I'm not saying that God doesn't move in with grace and mercy to help us through other people who have faith and know something about the power of God, because that is true, it does happen. But as the illustration I've used a number of times is fitting here, it's hard, well, it's really impossible, to teach a drowning man how to swim. So we need to build our faith Now, when we're able to come to church, you're able to sit in the seat, you you know, everything might not be perfect, I don't know of your situation, but now is the time to build your faith, because sooner or later you're going to need to use it. And also, along the same line, don't put up with stuff. Don't let the devil bring stuff that you just say, well, I guess I'm getting older, or I'm genetically inclined for this. Runs in the family, you know, so I I guess I'm going to have to put up with it. No. A thousand times no. Sickness and disease is not from God. Satan is the afflictor. Jesus is the healer who, by the way, according to Hebrews 13, 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we could say it this way. He's the healer yesterday and today and forever. Now, as we look at this great subject, what we really need as a foundation under our believing for healing and believing in healing is the truth that healing is legally ours. It belongs to us. It's legally ministered through the church, the body of Christ, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. Healing is legally ministered because of the finished work of Jesus in redemption. Healings are not case by case trying to figure out if God is in the mood. God doesn't see it as a case by case basis necessarily whereby he determines yes or no or wait a while. I don't know who came up with that phrase Many people use that as a teaching about prayer. There's no scripture for that. We sung tonight, the promises of God are yes and amen. So we're not waiting really on the answer. What faith is, is waiting with the answer. Did you see the difference? We're not waiting on the answer, we're waiting with the answer. We don't pray the prayer of faith to find the answer, we pray the prayer of faith with the answer. The prayer of faith is based on the answer. And so divine healing is is ours because of the finished work of Jesus in redemption. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, surely, now that's not maybe, but surely, he, that's Jesus, has borne our sicknesses. And it also means griefs. King James renders it griefs. But in Matthew chapter eight, we have the Holy Ghost's own commentary on that passage, given through the writer Matthew, the the one of the twelve, you know, and the word sickness there is used, not the word grief. It means both, but we can legally, we can truthfully translate that passage. Surely he has borne our sicknesses. Now the word born there is the is the Hebrew word. NASA, NASA. Now, you know, we have the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA that takes care of putting, you know, people in space and all of that kind of thing. Evidently somebody many years ago slipped that in on, on the government because the word means to lift off, to bear. Surely he has borne, he has lifted our sicknesses and diseases. And he has carried, meaning to carry in our place and to carry away. The picture is the scapegoat in the Old Testament. If you're familiar with that concept, when the high priest would lay hands on the scapegoat, he would confess over that scapegoat all the sins of Israel. And then the scapegoat would be released into the wilderness. He would never be cared for. It would eventually die. And it was a way of, uh, of appeasing the, the, the holiness and righteousness and wrath of God about this concerning the sins. Now, blood was essential, but this scapegoat was like an object lesson. It was like a picture. And so that word carried in Isaiah 53, 4 is... Is that idea carrying in our place and carrying away our pains? You say, does that include arthritis? Absolutely. Does it include migraines? Yes. It inc- it's just carried your pains. Yet, Isaiah speaks this by prophecy, you know, seven centuries before Jesus, and he says, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. In other words, when people looked at Jesus there on that day when he was crucified, they thought, what in the world has this man done? You know, if you didn't have the epistles, you wouldn't know what happened at Calvary, really. It takes the fulfillment of, of Scripture, it takes... These truths from the epistles, these letters to the churches to reveal to us what really happened at the cross. The disciples didn't know. They didn't fully understand. They saw it in real time, but they didn't understand that he was the scapegoat, that he was bearing their sins. They didn't understand that fully and completely. That would come by revelation as as these things would be revealed. The Holy Spirit would come and and... And now today we have all these wonderful scriptures in the New Testament that we look at and we understand it because of all the word that we have to look to. But if we'd have been there that day, we'd have thought surely God is displeased with this person. All this is laid upon him. And you know, it's interesting how that people to this day, 2,000 years after Calvary, that people to this day We'll talk about and use the terminology that God puts stuff on people. Have anybody ever heard that phrase? I'm not asking if you've you've used it. Maybe you have in your ignorance in the past. I'm not calling you stupid, but we all have been ignorant, and we all are ignorant still of certain things. Uh, It doesn't mean we can't learn. It just means there's some things we've ignored. Ignorance. We've ignored. We didn't learn it. But uh, maybe you thought that well, God put this on somebody. God put that on somebody. You know that that can't be so because he already put that on somebody. He put it on Jesus. It would be unjust and illegal for God to have laid that on Jesus and Jesus to fully compensate for that and then to lay it on us again. God never uses anything that he's redeemed you from in order to try to now to discipline you and teach you a lesson. He didn't redeem you from sickness and then comes back and try to use it on you for some reason or purpose. No, he laid that on Jesus. And if we'd have been there, we'd have thought, you know, something truly is is laid upon this person. We wouldn't have understood it, and we don't understand it without the epistles, but yet now we do understand. He was wounded for our transgressions, the prophet said. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, you may have a translation that uses the word bruise. And, of course, we know what a bruise is. (coughs) A bruise is... Is puddled blood under the skin, so we could say it accurately, with His blood, we are healed. Now, we're going somewhere with this. I know we're starting slow, but we're, we're a slow starter and a strong finisher. <laughs> but with His blood, we're healed. So we bring healing, or uh, let me say it this way, God brought healing. Isaiah the prophet brought healing over into the redemption now, why is that important? Because that, it puts it, that puts healing on the basis of by grace through faith. That puts healing on the basis of to whosoever will. No exceptions. It puts healing in the class of, to say it this way, everybody that God is willing to save, he is willing to heal. And everybody that is saved is, in a legal sense, healed. They may not know that. They may not have received it for whatever reason, but it belongs to us. It belongs to us. Surely... He's borne our griefs and sicknesses and diseases and carried our pains and sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, with his bruises, with his blood, we are healed. We are healed. Well, seven centuries later, Matthew Wrote in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. It says, and when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. So there, we know that there were many that were set free from spirits. <clears throat> but he healed all that were sick. So there was not just a few people. Many. And he healed all that were sick, that it might be what fulfilled. Which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now the Holy Ghost inspired Matthew to write this. This is Holy Ghost commentary. You may have commentaries uh, in your own uh, home, maybe if you're a serious student of the Word, you might have heard of commentaries like, for instance, Matthew, Henry, these, these uh, great works that men have produced. Well, Matthew 8, 16, and 17 is the Holy Ghost's own commentary on Isaiah 53, 4, and 5. And when he comments on this, he says, the healings that Jesus was doing was in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And you notice when you read Matthew 8, 16, and 17, nothing was said about people uh, getting healed emotionally, though I'm sure probably there were people who were drastically changed emotionally. It wasn't a spiritual healing, even though there were people who were set free of spirits. But the point I'm making is people try to spiritualize this stuff. They try to put it in a spiritual category Because they don't seem to grasp, for whatever reason, they don't want to admit, especially preachers. Preachers are the worst offenders here. Because if a preacher admits that divine healing is in the redemption, or using Old Testament language, if a preacher admits that divine healing is in the atonement, then if he's intellectually honest, he has to say, It's for everybody. And if you know anything about the church world, you know that there are entire swaths of the church that just don't accept that. It's not that they don't believe God can heal. It's they're not sure if God will heal. Let me ask you a question. If you've got children and or, well, grandchildren too, Would you rather they would doubt your willingness to give them a ham sandwich? (laughs) Or would you rather they doubt your ability? You know, when my, my grandkids come over, they know where the pantry is. One particular of them always goes to the pantry, always stands in there looking around, never asks, don't have to. Now, would we want those children to, would we rather that they would say this, I believe you will if you can. Or would you want them to say, I know you can, but I'm not sure you will. Now think about that. Because that's how people treat God. Nobody loves more than God. Nobody's richer than God. Nobody has more grace and mercy than God. But yet his own children come to him and say, Lord, if it's your will, if it's your will, it's it's hard to get rid of accents. Where I come from, will is a two-syllable word. (laughs) If it's your will, you could heal me. But you know, that's not scriptural. And that's really an insult to the Heavenly Father. Because what you're really saying to God is, I know you can But I just don't know if you want to. And when you go there, you're going to some dangerous place because you're saying basically, I'm not sure about your love. I'm not sure about your compassion. And worse than that is you're saying, I'm not sure about what I'm reading in the Word, if you really will do it. Now, I know this is kind of the nitty-gritty of this whole aspect of healing, but this is why I said earlier it's a foundation for divine healing. Because if I am sure that Jesus bought my healing when he bought my righteousness. If I'm sure that he redeemed me from sickness and disease on the same cross on the same day that he redeemed me from sin. Then just as sure as I'm saved, I'm healed. Amen. And that is a truth the devil doesn't want you to get a hold of. He doesn't want you to get it into your heart. He doesn't want you to live it out. He doesn't want you to confess it. But you know, we're not even through. There's another scripture in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.24, that says who his own self, Peter speaking now after the cross, years later, he's looking back and under the inspiration of the Spirit, he tackles this thing one more time. He tackles it again, you know, or he he tackles it. So this is like the third in this chain of, of connected scriptures that's so important to us. He said, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. So there's no question he's talking about redemption, talking about Calvary, talking about the cross. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, again, people try to spiritualize this. But we know, if we know the New Testament, that when we were born again, our spirit didn't get healed. Our spirit didn't get healed. The old man actually died, and a new person was born. Salvation is not a repairing of the old man. It's not a reconstruction of the old person. It is the rebirth. It is the birth of a brand new creature who never existed before. That's what the new birth is. You know, I've got, a, I've got a, a souvenir here on my hand from many years ago when I was an underground coal miner. And I was not really wise as I should have been on this particular day when um, I, I, it was very low. You know, so you couldn't stand up. I know that sounds hard to believe. You crawl on your hands and knees and you operate equipment that you lay down to operate. It sounds very gruesome, but anyway, it wasn't gruesome. Paid good in that day, anyway. And so uh, one day I was, I got off the piece of equipment that I operated and I was trying to go somewhere else and I sliced my hand here with a sharp piece of shale rock. And, um. of course, it started bleeding. And in the process, I saw later when it healed up that I had uh, coal under there. That's what that black spot is. Uh, but this healed. It healed. And, and, and it, it healed. You probably can't see it from back there, but it left a mark, it left a scar. That's what healing does. Well, when I got born again, there are no scars. are no residue of the past. There's nothing under the skin. There's nothing of the old person. I am a new creation in Christ. I am born again. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. God is now my Father. I am His very own Son. I am in contract or covenant with Almighty God through the blood of Jesus. I am a new creation. Hallelujah. So when Peter said what he said in 1 Peter 24, he was not talking about the old man getting a healing, coming into the presence of God all scarred up, banged up, beat up, and all of the rest. He was talking about with his stripes you were healed. That's being the physical body. Uh, But our spirit was made new. And of course, if you look at Isaiah 53, Matthew chapter 8, you see that's the context. And so I say all of that to say to you, that that's how easy healing is. You say, what do you mean how easy healing is? Well, how hard was it for you to get born again? You know, one of, one, a revelation that, that I am trying to get in my spirit, and I know you think, well, you should have already had this. And I should. But somehow or another, it's really coming home to me recently, is the job of a teacher is not to complicate things, it's to simplify things. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we will try to, we'll try to be so thorough in so many scriptures and definitions and everything else. And I, I like all of that. But if we're not careful, we, we will almost complicate the thing. It's not hard. If you got saved, you used your faith. If you got born again, you can get healed manifested in your body same principle same God same word and so healing in the redemption as we say puts healing on the basis of it being by grace through faith now here the next thing I'm going to say is something that uh, it's not a contradiction of what we just said it's an addition that we can't ignore so here it is Divine healing is almost always a cooperation between God and man. We have responsibilities in the process, just what we were doing, renewing our minds to truth, digging things from the Word, taking time to meditate Scripture till we fully understand the concept better, at least, hopefully, more from God's perspective than before. That's our responsibility, the renewal of the mind. We have some responsibilities in the process. And that does not take the sovereignty of God out of the equation. Because one of the critics of people like myself and churches like ours that teach and preach and minister divine healing is they, uh, they somehow think that for us to teach these things is violating or insulting slandering the sovereignty of God. Well, that's not it at all. Because God in his sovereignty established the faith process. If God didn't want us to walk by faith, then why did he tell us that that's what he wanted us to do? The sovereign God said, the just shall live by faith. And said it more than one time in Scripture. Said it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's God in his sovereignty expressing how he wants man to live. So our cooperation with God doesn't take God's sovereignty out of the equation. Exercising faith is not me taking over and becoming my own God. Exercising faith is not me earning God's blessings. It's just simply me positioning myself to receive what God freely offers. I've used this illustration so many times. If I think of a better one, I'll start using it, but I haven't thought of any yet. But, you know, if it's pouring rain tonight, if it were to be raining, it's not. But if it were pouring rain outside, you know that as long as you stay in here under this roof, you are dry. If for some reason you wanted to get wet, you have to change your position. You have to move. You go where the water is. And if that were the case, you just go out those doors, any set of doors in the building, and you go out in the rain and you get wet. Well, you didn't make it rain. You didn't order the rain. You just simply made a choice to get under the rain. And that's what faith is about. It's about making a choice to believe God for what He has already said He wants to do. And since healing belongs to us, I can make a choice to receive my healing. Now here's where I want to close tonight. Uh, I've got a whole lot more to give you, but you'd don't have time to wait so we'll uh, we'll find a stopping place and take it up again but in Luke chapter 13 Luke chapter 13 we'll begin reading in the 10th verse and it says and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the sabbath and behold there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years that's a long time to be sick and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. She was bowed over and couldn't straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And that word infirmity has to do with sickness. It's exactly what it sounds like here. So he declared this to her that you're loosed. In other words, he made a legal proclamation. And verse 13 says, and he laid his hands on her. Well, we know from the scripture we quoted a while back in this service, Acts ten thirty-eight. We know he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. So he laid his hands on her, no doubt, to minister the healing anointing to her. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now the ruler of the synagogue got upset. They were thinking, you know, he shouldn't do this on the Sabbath day. Jesus in verse 15 answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, this is the lovely, wonderful Jesus that you know. (laughs) This is the meek and mild Jesus. He said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering?" And here's what we want to get to, verse 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus said she ought to be healed. She's a daughter of Abraham. She's a covenant child. This covenant involves, includes divine healing. She ought to be healed. And tonight I want to say to you, if you're sick in your body, if you've got pain in your body, if there's disease in your body, if there's anything wrong in your body, anything deficient at all, you ought to be healed. It is your covenant right to be healed. It is not imposing on God for you to touch Him with your faith. That is what He as your Heavenly Father wants to do for you. Amen? Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Could we worship the Lord a moment? Thank God for His power. Thank God for His anointing. Thank God for what He has done in Christ Jesus on the cross. We're not waiting on our redemption. We have it. We're not waiting on God to move. He's already moved. We're not waiting on God to get in the mindset or into the, the notion of healing us. He's already in that mindset. That's already His will. That's what He wants to do. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ha, Could we just lift up our hands and begin to worship Him? Those of you who might be watching at home, Especially if you're f- facing any kind of physical infirmity. Just worship with us right now. Receive from God right now. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The power of God. The power of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus thank you Jesus we just wait in your presence Lord as you do your mighty work God wants to heal tonight we know he did it in Christ at the cross 2,000 years ago but he wants that to be manifested in Jesus name in Jesus name hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah.